From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, January 26th. Sunday marks the 160th anniversary of the Bear River Massacre. That's when the United States Army attacked and killed hundreds of Shoshone men, women, and children in what is now northern Utah. This massacre is one of the largest in U.S. history. As Amy Van Tatenhove with our partners at UPR reports, the site is now being commemorated with a few ambitious restoration plans. The site of the attack along the Bear River, referred to as Bo Ogoi, or more recently, Wuda Ogwa, by the Northwestern Shoshone, has been used for hundreds of years as a place for trade, cultural exchange, and socialization by the tribe. Rios Pacheco, Northwestern Shoshone spiritual leader, explains why the Shoshone used the site. The river uh, helped them in their lives, the regular uh, Bear River water and then the hot springs. They all interacted with the Shoshone culture and then all the plants. They were able to use them pretty much seasonal and some were actually used year-round. Wuda Ogwa, which translates directly to Bear River, was abandoned by the Shoshone after the massacre and eventually converted into agricultural fields. With agriculture came human impacts to the river and the land surrounding it. In 2008, the Shoshone purchased part of the property in an effort to transform the site into a place of healing, both for people and for the land. Then, in 2018, as the tribe was finalizing the purchase of an additional 600 acres, the former chairman of the Northwestern Shoshone Nation, Darren Perry, approached Utah State University with the hope of bringing culturally important species back to the site. Perry's move marked the beginning of an ambitious partnership between the Northwestern Shoshone, Utah State University researchers, and local ecological consultants. Since 2018, the group has been collaborating on a plan to restore and preserve Wudaogwa far into the future. The goal is to return the land to what it was like before the pioneers arrived and to share Shoshone history with an interpretive center. Darren Olson, a biologist with ecological consulting firm BioWest, explains the partnership's goal to improve fish habitat. The lower part of Battle Creek has a lot of these non-native fish in it, but there's a diversion just below Hot Springs Road, and that acted as a fish barrier. And upstream of that, it's about 90-95% native species. That's where we can restore and, and improve the habitat. And our goal is to get back to a Bonneville cutthroat trout stream. And that's a, a high goal given the current condition of it. In addition to improving the hydrology of the site, plans include removing non-native vegetation, planting native and medicinal plants used by the Shoshone, and creating high-quality habitat for birds. Removal of Russian olive trees and conversion of incised streams to broad floodplains will bring back high-quality wetlands to the area as well. Despite years of ecological degradation, Pacheco explains the site is still important ecologically. Today is still valuable because there's still resources there, but it's just that we're not taking care of the water coming into that place that's always been uh, plentiful and we're not using the natural ways of filtering the water. We're using other ways to rush that filtering process. But when you do it through the natural flow and the natural uh, ways of using plants and animals to filter the water out, you have a better chance of getting clearer water into the lake. The lake, in this case, is Great Salt Lake, which is facing rapid ecological collapse as its waters recede and salinity levels skyrocket. Historically, the Bear River emptied into Great Salt Lake, but with much of its water now going to agriculture, water from the Bear River rarely makes it to the lake. 
Will Munger, a PhD student in USU's Department of Environment and Society, says a benefit of the Wudaogwa restoration may be increased water flow to Great Salt Lake. One is water rights that the tribe acquired when they purchased the property. These are irrigation rights, um, and uh, the tribe uh, can choose to put those water rights back into the Great Salt Lake. And the other is by taking out Russian olive that is evapotranspirating water, that water then goes back into the system. Now, some of that water is going to uh, be replaced by the evapotranspiration of willow and cottonwoods, um, but the hypothesis is that willow and cottonwood aren't taking as much as Russian olive. It's a drop in the bucket compared to the 7.5 million acre feet of water needed to return Great Salt Lake to healthy levels. But even small steps like this are beneficial. Brian Andrews, the restoration project manager, works closely with Brad Perry, the vice president of the Northwestern Shoshone. In addition to ecological healing, Andrews says the partnership is hoping to encourage outdoor recreation with a system of walking trails, a waterway for canoes and paddleboards, and interpretive signage throughout. There's a multi-trail system planned we're working on as well, so... That's going to go a short little loop up here. When you come here, when it's ultimately done, we'll have trees and uh, things along that cornfield. What we'd like you to do is to go back in time. Ecological restoration and management led by Native tribes is becoming more prevalent across the country as the deep value of Indigenous voices is finally being recognized and institutions and government agencies alike are working to address colonialistic practices. Munger explains. Here in Utah at the Bears Ears National Monument, I think is a really interesting example of that. We're talking about this change in language, this idea of co-management is actually, you know, it's kind of a new thing. And what they're saying is our traditional ecological knowledge, our spiritual and cultural connection to the landscape needs to be part of the management process. The anniversary of the massacre is January 29th. I'm Amy Van Tatenhove. Two state agencies have teamed up to make safer wildlife migration a priority in Utah. Alex Gonzalez with our partners at the Public News Service reports. The Utah Wildlife Migration Initiative relies heavily on GPS tracking data received from mammals, birds, and fish. That tracking information gives coordinators a good picture of where animals are spending time, the routes they take, and areas where safe migration routes are needed. It's a joint project of the state's Division of Wildlife Resources and Department of Transportation. Blair Stringham with Utah DWR says they've now completed over 100 projects. And for them to be effective, they have to align with animals' tendencies and behaviors. Some of the really cool things we've done, though, is we've been able to install overpasses, which are essentially bridges going over roadways so animals can move back and forth. They've been really successful with a lot of different animal species. Stringham says they've also been able to install underpasses as well as fencing projects to keep wildlife off roads. They've even found ways to help fish move from one stretch of river to other tributaries if they've been cut off by roadways. Stringham says helping animals migrate can save their lives in the process. Even so, about 4,900 deer were killed last year due to vehicle collisions. Stringham says many folks don't realize the material damage that results from these accidents, which can add up quickly. He says keeping wildlife off the roads keeps people safer too, and the evidence shows these projects are helping. We tend to see a huge improvement in the number of collisions with wildlife when we do these kinds of projects. We've seen I mean, anywhere from 75 to 90 percent success on most of these. The Utah Division of Wildlife Resources recently released an app called the Utah Roadkill Reporter. It allows anyone to report road kills as they come across them. Stringham says it helps contractors locate and remove the carcasses. That data is also used to plan future projects to help prevent wildlife vehicle collisions. I'm Alex Gonzalez reporting. 
The chairman of the Southern Ute and Ute Mountain Ute tribes delivered their first annual address to the Colorado State Legislature this month. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis has more. Ute Mountain Ute Chairman Manuel Hart and Southern Ute Chairman Melvin J. Baker spoke in Denver at the state capitol. This address is the first of its kind in Colorado for the sovereign tribal nations. A 2022 state bill mandates that both tribes be invited annually to address the state legislature. Chairman Hart and Chairman Baker spoke about a range of important tribal issues, including water rights, sports betting, and education. In a working relationship, we have established the first state charter school on the Indian Reservation in the state of Colorado. Manuel Hart acknowledged the Cuyagat Community Academy in Toyoc, which the tribe launched last year in partnership with the Colorado Department of Education. Hart said public school students across the country should learn Native American history, too. So today, American Indian history is not required in our public schools, in the curriculum. It is important that future generations are provided with this history and knowledge. Chairman Hart and Baker received standing ovations for their remarks. I'm Clark Adamitis. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, January 26th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.